Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 48 Hours ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Need more true crime in your life? An Audible membership can solve that. Audible is the ultimate destination for thrilling audio entertainment. As an Audible member, you could choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog. Don't miss The Serial Killer's Apprentice by Katherine Ramsland and Tracy Allman. It follows the true story of how Houston's deadliest murder turned a kid into a killer in training. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 48 hours or text 48 hours to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 48 hours or text 48 hours to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Audible.com slash 48 hours. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Listen to Postmortem from 48 Hours ad-free with 48 Hours Plus on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe today. Welcome to 48 Hours Postmortem. I'm CBS News anchor and 48 Hours correspondent Anne-Marie Green. And it's time to answer your biggest questions from our latest episode about stepdaughter-turned-murderer Jade Jenks. Joining me today are 48 Hours correspondent Tracy Smith and producer Sarah Pryor, who reported on and produced this episode. Hi. Thanks for having us, Anne-Marie. We have a lot to discuss, but first, here's a quick refresher on the case. It was New Year's Day 2021 when a strange call came into the San Diego Sheriff's Department. The caller said his friend had confessed to murder. She said that she had possibly killed her stepdad. The accused woman was Jade Jenks, an interior decorator. She lived next door to the alleged victim, Tom Merriman, her stepfather. Assistant District Attorney Jorge Del Portillo said detectives learned more from the caller. He told sheriff's deputies she confessed to drugging him, suffocating him, and strangling him to death. Merriman's dead body was found, and Jenks was arrested and charged with his murder. She said she was innocent, and in December 2022, when the case went to trial, there was a surprise. It turns out that just 10 days before Merriman's death, Jenks had discovered hundreds of her private, explicit photos on his computer. It was the most violating, just awful, gut-wrenching feeling ever. Jenks still insisted she didn't kill Merriman, but prosecutors said they'd discovered text messages that revealed a plot, a plot to murder. Okay, so we're going to discuss the crime scene, that pile of trash, the so-called fixer who didn't fix, didn't show up. 
Um, we're going to talk about Jade and Tom and, of course, those, those nude photos, those naked photos. But I, I want to ask you, what was the most asked question that you got about this episode, Tracy? How do you strangle someone and leave no marks? Yeah. The way that Jorge, the prosecutor, explained it to me is, hey, I just shook your hand. That was mm-hmm. 11 pounds of pressure. To strangle someone, you only need four pounds of pressure. It's that light. Yeah, that was a great sort of moment in the piece that really sort of indicated how easy it is for someone to be strangled to death. And I thought a drug overdose could be reasonable, but can people overdose on Ambien? There was some dispute about that. um, And I don't think even any of the state's witnesses were confident that you could really die from Ambien. Um, You know, it certainly can be toxic like a lot of drugs, but it's actually kind of hard to kill someone, um, whether it's drugs or otherwise. So that was, I think, the reason we were so stuck on this idea of a (laughs) gentle strangling, because we've Tracy and I, I think, have both done stories where you really get emphasized with how difficult it is Mm -hmm. to take someone's life. Right. The body wants to stay alive. It Mm -hmm. does. It does. And so I think what what they explained to us in the interview is that it wasn't one mechanism. It wasn't just that she lightly, you know, strangled him. He was not doing so well because of all the drugs in his system. Ambien was the predominant one, but there were others, a number of others in varying, you know, degrees. And so it was the combination. So we know from the episode that Tom is Jade's stepfather, but they're unusually close to me. What more can you guys tell us about their relationship? What did you learn? Yeah, it's interesting. Tom calls Jade his daughter. Um, And she moved in next door to him. So they had this really close but clearly complicated relationship. One of the things she talked about in her testimony was when they came to know each other. Obviously, Jade's mother was married to Tom Merriman. That's how he became her stepfather and she became his stepdaughter. She was 14 or 15. And Tom and Jade's mom had a baby together around that time. So Jade is a teenager There is now a baby in the house, and this marriage does not last. So the mom leaves? I think Tom left the mom. That's how Jade told it. We don't know for sure. But they formed a bond then, and Jade sort of became, you know, stepmom to her half-brother and helped raise him. So that's something she talked about in her testimony, that they sort of went through this experience together and formed a bond there. So then I guess I can imagine just how shocking it must have been for Jade to then knock his computer and see a nude photo of herself as his screensaver. Can you imagine, right? Your dad, essentially, right? She thought of him as, as her father, right? Mm-hmm. To find that. Yeah. Um, and she's so horrified that it almost sort of shifts the way she views the world in a way. So Tom kept these photos in a couple of places on his uh, his computer desktop and on his laptop. But Jay destroyed the desktop hard drive. That's right. Yeah. So he had two different computers. Um, her story is that she bumped the mouse on his desktop while she was cleaning when he was out and, you know, sick in the hospital. Um, and then her story is also that she destroyed that hard drive. She took pictures of the monitor and documented what she found. And so police and Police never found that hard drive. Mm -hmm. And in those pictures, you can see the desktop and the photos. Exactly. See the monitor. You see the folder names. You see the pictures. Now, I am characterizing what I understand happened at trial. We never saw these. They were shown in court in a redacted version and not released publicly because obviously these, you know, compromise Jay's privacy. Yeah, they are. 
I mean, I know it's not their job as a prosecution to figure out how he got access to these, but did anybody kind of dig into that? Uh, Well, one thing to clarify is that Tom didn't take these photos. These were photos taken by Jade or by her, you know, old boyfriends uh, or her old partners. Consensually taken photographs. Yeah, that Tom got a hold of. Exactly. And the defense, the defense says that he blew up these pictures. He had files of these pictures, according to her body parts. Uh, It's incredibly disturbing. I mean, she was rocked by this. She said that she was vomiting. She said, you know, she couldn't shower because she had those images in her head. She devised this plan where she would actually sleep on a tarp so that if someone stepped into the room in the middle of the night, stepped on that tarp, it would wake her up. The noise of it would wake her up. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it, it clearly rocked her world. Let us talk about the crime scene now. Uh, Tom, Tom's remains, they're found in a pile of trash. Tracy, you were actually in the neighborhood. We saw you there. You're walking around. You're on the driveway. Can you kind of describe the area? Sure. It's an idyllic little place. This is a beautiful, the driveway kind of goes back through these trees into this little open spot. The neighbor has this gorgeous little garden back there. It's just a pristine little spot. And that's why it's shocking that in the middle of this, there was a pile of trash that the police didn't notice. Because it wasn't like this place was, you know, overrun with junk and trash. It was very beautifully manicured and kept. Mm-hmm. And the other thing was when I looked at that pile of trash, you know, the shopping bags, and I thought to myself, this looks like me, like a bad day at the mall. When I come home and I just like dump a bunch of stuff at the front door, how is a whole body in there that no one notices? When the undercover detective, she, you know, is off camera when she testifies. But when she noticed this pile of garbage and said, did anyone check this? Let me look. She picks up literally one item and then she can tell it wasn't it, it's an entire human body is right. not so small. He's it, a grown man. Yeah. In their defense, it was it was night. Um, it was dark. Um, they were looking inside the house initially in you know, looking for blood, you know, those things that you would typically look for if someone's missing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it didn't it didn't necessarily cross their radar until the sun came up. And when the sun came up, then she discovered it. Mm. So, you know, Tom's remains are found out out in the open. Obviously, you know, something's gone terribly wrong here. I couldn't help but to think that if Jade was able to get Tom back in that bed, which is what she was, you know, trying to do, she didn't really plan it out all that well, perhaps she could have gotten away with murder. The prosecutors in the hour say, yeah, if he had gotten in that bed, the assumption would have been like, oh, he fell asleep, he had a bad reaction, and that would have been it. Remember, he was just released from the medical facility the day prior. Yeah, or Mm -hmm. that day, um, depending. Yeah. And then I guess with no physical proof of any sort of strangulation, if she had never even mentioned strangulation and was successful in moving him, that might have been sort of case closed, Tracy. Oh, yeah. they would. They, chances are they would have seen it as an overdose. And she almost I mean, even think about where he was in where he where his body was in the driveway there. I mean, she got him to that point. She just couldn't get him past that point. And I think she covered him up thinking she could maybe come back and move him. Uh, You know, I don't think the plan was to leave him in the driveway. I think the plan was still to get him in the house. So according to Jade's ex-boyfriend, Adam, she calls him to help her move Tom's body, and then he calls 911. Take a listen. Sheriff's communication, dispatcher 5538. 
Well, I've got a situation. Last night, a friend of mine asked me to come over. She said that she had possibly killed her stepdad. I don't know if she really did this. Well, what exactly are your reports? It sounds like she killed this guy. So he is me. Like when I listen to this call, he sounds genuinely frightened, but also a little uncertain. You know, sometimes people second guess whether they should be calling the police or not. But none of this. And you can hear all of that coming out in his voice. And he actually starts the ball rolling because I don't even think, you know, no one would have been looking for him if if the ex-boyfriend did not call. Was this kind of one of the strongest bits of evidence? Oh, you're so right. And think about you were just saying she could have gotten away with murder. If Adam didn't make that call, that brought on the welfare check. Mm -hmm. She could have gotten away with it. And he's the one that sort of I don't think we played this, but he he's the one that says, listen, she confessed. Yeah, it's not all in the 911 call. He then goes and talks to police and comes to testify at trial. But um, that's his story. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That she had told him everything or enough that he you know, felt compelled. And, you know, this remember, this was New Year's Eve that he saw Jade of 2020. So it's, you know, the evening after dark. He'd been getting a tattoo all day and he goes over. Um, here's this story. And then he doesn't call police until the next morning. And so he was sitting with this, you know, kind of tossing and turning, you know, uh, talking to his friend, talking to, you know, other people before he makes a decision to call. I'm just curious because he sounded so authentically concerned in that 911 call. Um, you could, but, and it didn't even sound like officers were really taking him all that seriously. It took a minute for it to escalate because he calls at, let's say, nine, maybe it's 930 on the morning of New Year's Day. And the police um, are calling around trying to figure out if Tom Merriman's alive, where he may be. They go to his house eventually by the afternoon to find him and they don't. And they don't get the warrant to investigate, um, I think, until midnight. So it's it's quite a bit of time passes. You know, really that whole day of New Year's Day. And do we know anything about the nature of the relationship that he had with Jade? I mean, she felt confident enough to call him. There was a bit in a trial about a jealous girlfriend that he had after he and Jade. He and Jade were exes from a long time past. And then I think he had a more recent relationship and there was a lot of jealousy. And so Jade was not actively in his life until, you know, pretty close to the time of Tom Merriman's death. And I think it goes to her desperation that she's just trying to get someone to help her move Tom, to help her continue this plan, carry out this plan. So it seems like Jade was very close to getting away with the murder of her stepfather. But when it came to actually executing her plan, it just everything sort of fell apart. When we get back, we're going to talk about Jade's side of the story when she takes the stand in her defense. A sense of safety is important to everyone, and that's why I want to talk to you about Simply Safe. It's an advanced security system that protects your entire home so you can rest easy. Simply Safe is completely customizable with advanced sensors to detect break-ins, fires, floods, and more. You can have 24/7 professional home monitoring for less than $1 a day. So try Simply Safe for 60 days risk-free. If you don't love it, 
you can return your system for a full refund. Plus, we're offering listeners 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Don't wait. Visit simplysafe.com slash 48 hours. That's simplysafe.com slash 48 hours. There's no safe like Simply Safe. If you're a fan of 48 hours or true crime, looking to try on a case of your own, June's Journey is for you. A thrilling hidden object mystery game set against the backdrop of the 1920s. You play as June Parker, an amateur detective trying to unravel your sister's mysterious murder. As you dive into a world filled with twists and turns, trust no one. Every character could be hiding secrets. While you piece together the intricately woven plot, you'll collect crucial information in your photo album, turning suspicions into facts. And if you want help on the case, you can even join a detective club to collaborate or compete with fellow sleuths on hundreds of puzzles. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. All right, welcome back, everyone. So Jade's plan was unraveling. She couldn't move Tom's body. She called her ex-boyfriend. And then the guy prosecutors have called the fixer. And I got it in, like, quotation marks. Uh, who is the fixer, Tracy? Okay, so if you're a fan of Quentin Tarantino, as I am, uh, in the movie Pulp Fiction, there's the fixer played by Harvey Keitel. And he's kind of the guy who comes in and cleans up the messes, fixes your problems. So that's why I think the prosecutors dubbed this guy, Alan Roach, the fixer. Um, he was going to come in and fix Jade's problem. Now, Jade will tell you that the problem was simply that she wanted to keep Tom at bay. She wanted a big guy to protect her and to help her confront Tom with these naked photos that she discovered. Uh, of course, the prosecutors say that the fixer was there for another purpose. I mean, fixers don't typically, you know, list themselves on the Internet. How does she even meet this guy? Through Facebook. Some friend of hers, I think, from high school. And so the first couple of messages actually between Alan Roach and Jay Jenks are on Facebook. And I think that's where he says, if you have a problem, I can fix it for you. Um, so it was, yeah, he sort of almost named himself. So she meets him through a friend of a friend. Yeah. I presume he doesn't come with references. How does she know she can trust this guy? Why does she trust this guy? She doesn't. I mean, she doesn't know that she can trust yeah. him. And she's desperate. She's desperate. And remember, we talked about her state of mind after finding these photos. You know, this drove her a little bit around the bend. Um, so she's I think she's just trying to figure out what to do next. Um, but then, you know, she says, listen, as you guys point out, I just needed someone to protect myself from Tom. Um, but there's a series of text messages that suggest otherwise, and they become really important evidence. I want to play some of the sound from the hour. At 3 p.m., you texted Alan, he's waking up, and I'm not sure how much longer I can control my temper. Is that right? Yes, with us to Alan. You texted Alan, he's waking up and getting way more aggressive, so it's way more real. True? True. I think, again, I was just panicking and trying to urge Alan to come over. You would agree with me that this looks very suspicious, this text message. Oh, yeah. So she says, oh, yeah, like pretty casually, <laughs> right? So what is her side of the story? Jade's story is that she's totally innocent, um, that she, you know, all of these texts were innocent. They were taken out of context. 
She says, you know, Tom was, you know, incapacitated. She tried to get him home. She couldn't do it. She let him sleep it off overnight in her car. She goes there on New Year's Day morning and finds his body. She can't quite accept the truth. She realizes he's probably dead. And when she does, in fact, you know, come to that understanding, she panics. That's her story, that she absolutely panicked and covered him up thinking she would be blamed because she had been the one who picked him up the day before. So the fixer, Alan Roach, never came to help Jade. But did he ever come to trial? Did he ever testify? He did not. No, Alan Roach. He was, I think what the prosecutors told us was that they, the jury heard that he was legally unavailable. Did you guys try to get in contact with him? Our best information showed him in Mexico. And I actually sent him a text through Facebook, just like how Jade met him. And he just said, I don't want to talk about it. I only knew her for a week, which is accurate. She was introduced to him on December 23rd on that first Facebook exchange. And Tom Merriman died on December 31st. So so who does show up, though, is the second guy, the, the fixer's friend or the fixer's fixer, so, so to speak. He that person goes to trial. Uh, Solomon. Brian Solomon. Yep. And I just want to point out that Alan Roach and Brian Solomon were never charged in connection with Tom's murder. But what does Brian Solomon say at trial? His story is basically that he shows up and Jade says, help me strangle this dude. And he's like, I don't know you and I'll be right back. I have to make a phone call. And he is not right back. He is gone. Mm -hmm. And his girlfriend came to testify and corroborated that story. She dropped him off at Solana Beach. She drove. It's a block literally from the ocean. It's such a lovely space. She basically gets to the water and has to turn back around and get him. So he, he goes right out. Completely freaked out, of course, by what has just transpired. Right. And remember, these two guys don't know each other. Right. Like going back to the ex-boyfriend, Adam. Yeah. So that same term comes from Brian Solomon, who's only knows Alan Roach, who doesn't know Jade, and Adam Ziplack, who does know Jade and is there at a totally different time. And yet they have similar stories. You know, she wanted me to strangle him. She told me she strangled him. So how does that happen? As I was watching it, Periodically, I would say, but this is a secondhand confession. Why would they pin so much to this? But I guess if you hear it over and over again, well, at least twice, then it starts to pique your interest if you're a prosecutor. Well, and I think, you know, my impression of the prosecutors, you know, it's they will often tell you this. We've met many prosecutors over the years that their mission is to find the truth, whatever it is. I think they believe this is really what happened. Mm -hmm. I think it is a complicated and not ideal story for them, but I think they thought it was true. Yeah. So you guys, you're talking a little bit about uh, the prosecutors. They had kind of an interesting dynamic between the two of them. What was it like talking to them? Oh, wow. They they really did. They they really uh, played to each other's strengths and knew each other really well. I mean, so much so that um, Jorge kind of said, you know, I'm a little aggressive at times and Teresa has to rein me in. And she jumped in and said, well, actually, what I do is I, I pass him post-it notes and say, hey, tone it down or hey, move on uh, when he starts to get a little overexcited to the point where he can get a little um, physical. He gets a little fidgety when he gets really excited about something. And they did not want him to be that way when he was uh, talking to Jade on the stand. And right. so the detective and Teresa sat on either side of Jorge and kind of pinned him in. They, they called it boxing him in so that he couldn't get too fidgety and too aggressive with her. And clearly it worked. Because they didn't want to make her look like 
more of a victim because the weird thing about this case is both are victims in some way or another. Yeah, they said outright, they said she's a sympathetic defendant. You know, they understood that about Jade, about her situation. And and it's really when you go into a courtroom, it's about a story and the jury is getting an impression of people and a story. You know, so if they see a story where Jade's the victim, that that goes against their conclusion, which they want a conviction, you know, and I don't think again, they told us straight out they believe that Tom had these pictures. So they they understand that and they have some sympathy for Jade, too. But I think they also believed she murdered Tom Merriman. So talk about a sympathetic character. I wondered if that was part of the reason her defense attorney put her on the stand. This sort of a shocking decision. Yeah, although she had to explain those texts. She, the prosecutor said they weren't surprised at all that she took the stand because she had to explain those texts. And I think you're right. I think he was, he was looking to make her sympathetic. And maybe that's why her own attorney was so tough on her, that that was his strategy, was that would somehow make her look more sympathetic. But it seemed like he was tougher on her than the prosecutor was on her. Okay. Because there were times as I'm watching the hour and because of the way the video was set up, you don't actually see who's asking her the question that I had to rewind because I wasn't sure if she was being grilled by the prosecution or asked a question by the defense. And you're right. It seemed like her own attorney was much harder on her and she was falling apart on the, on the stand under his questioning. Yeah, we tried to leave clues when we were putting together the broadcast for exactly that reason, because we had that impression, too. Like he, you know, he's like, did you kill him? And she's like, oh, yeah. you know, and that's that's her attorney. He does need to ask her that question. Right. So that I mean, I think as a defense attorney, it makes sense to me better to say that that he would ask her that question. So it would come from, you know, friendly fire. But it was it was aggressive. And the other thing that I observed, maybe no one else observed this. You know, we see all these like gorgeous pictures of her. She's beautiful. But in court, she looks nothing like that. That she sort of like, you know, came from a cell and she was going back to a cell. I don't know. Did anybody else observe that? It's just she was not in jail at the time of trial, right? She was out on bond until she was convicted. But she did have kind of a wretched demeanor. I think that's a a word that came to mind as you were talking. And I was remembering the the tape of her testimony. See, I didn't even know she was. I assumed that she had been behind bars because she just looks so much different in her sort of social media posts. Did you guys try to talk to Jade? How did that go? We did not have success. Now, she has appealed the verdict, you know, um, and probably wants to protect that legal process. Um, Everyone is free to decline. But we worked so hard to talk to her or friends, family members. You know, we had a lot of casual conversations and in the end weren't able to get anyone. Uh, well, yeah, that's not fair. Uh, we had a friend of hers who did talk to us. But, yeah. you know, there were a lot of people in court supporting her. But wouldn't talk to 48. You know, they might have had their reasons um, that they didn't share with us. It's always you always want to talk to everyone, um, you know, because I think. You know, part of this conversation, I think what we're bringing out about this case, and it's true of many of them, is that the truth is just multifaceted. You know, there's not one right and wrong. Um, It's there's a lot of layers to it. And there's a lot more to Jade and her life that I think we'd be really curious about and to hear from her, just period, to hear from her. And that kind of comes to almost sort of the crux of this case. And we talked about this earlier, that we have 
two victims and two perpetrators, sort of. Neither of them are easy to like once you hear about their behavior. Um, They're easy to like sort of on the surface, you know, this beautiful girl, successful, creative. He raises butterflies. I mean, who couldn't like that? And then this underbelly, this other behavior that makes them unlikable. Um, That's got to be a challenge when it comes to storytelling. Yeah, it's true. I mean, when you hear about those photos, finding those naked photos on on his computer, how could you not sympathize with her? Uh, I mean, of course, we all put ourselves in her shoes and say, oh, my goodness, that would be horrifying. Uh, Yes. So she she is a victim. You feel for her. But as the prosecutor said to us, no matter what Tom did, Jade can't be the judge, jury, and executioner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you don't get to do that, right? So, and yeah, Tom's friend talked to Tracy about this. Tom was buried under garbage. I think that stings. You know, that's, you know, there is there is sympathy for Tom. I think, you know, we all felt it at the same time. No one has disputed what he did mm-hmm. um, with those pictures and to his family member. So it's it's a complicated case. Hey, you know, just because you just said that, I want to circle back to Tom's friends. Tracy, I want to play a clip from your conversation with Tom's friend, Pat Flanagan. Jade said that she found nude photos of herself yeah. on Tom's computer. Do you believe that? I I can't disprove it. I find it, I, I don't want to believe it. It's interesting you say you don't want to believe it. Yeah. Pat re- kind of refuses to believe it. At this point, he just, yeah, he can't reconcile. At least that's what he seemed when we spoke with him. Perhaps he's changed his mind since then, but he just couldn't, couldn't, he was in denial about that actually being a fact. I think he, we're talking about complications. Pat Flanagan is grieving the loss of his friend and business partner. He had to shut down the butterfly farm. Um, But at the same time, you know, he's got this set of facts about Tom's actions yeah. that I think are really hard to reconcile. And maybe he just can't. Yeah. Um, you do so many of these. Was there anything that was a takeaway from this episode? You know, I, I think the thing that comes up, you know, every set of facts is different. But at the end, I think what the viewers are responding to and the reason that I'm so interested and engaged with my job is it's the human condition. And it's not a simple story of this innocent person and, you know, this guilty one. It's we want that. I think we all as humans want nice binary right and wrong. And and we also know as grownups, it's not true. For me, it just this is something where the, the justice system could have worked so well if she just would have reached out to the to the right people, gone to the police you know, talk to somebody about this instead of trying to take action, you know, take it into her own hands. I mean, it's just it. it's this is vigilante justice, I guess you could say, at its worst. And it just shows you that, you know, it, you can't take it into your own hands. Like, yeah. this is how it works out. You know, no matter what this guy did, no one deserves to be murdered and thrown away like trash. Uh, Tracy, Sarah, this has been great. So glad you guys made time to talk to us about this uh, hour, another spectacular hour of 48 Hours. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. 
Be sure to join us next Tuesday for another postmortem. Watch 48 Hours Saturdays, 10, 9 Central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. And be sure to follow 48 Hours wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the 48 Hours podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.